Hi, I'm Dave Ferguson, pastor of the Collegedale Church here on the campus of Southern Adventist University. Welcome to our podcast. We're going to explore today some of the relevant words of Jesus Christ in Scripture to my life, to your life. So enjoy the message. So we are in the third week of a series together. Today, action. Action. You, you might recall that two weeks ago we started with butterflies, butterflies, and the series on commitments, starting with the, the, the call to a corporate shared mission, that we're about something as individuals, but we're about something as a group as well, and that Jesus Christ has called us to mission. And last week, places, places everyone, just as a film director might have instructed exactly where everyone ought to go, then might call out places before saying, queuing up sound, lights, camera, action. That's right. So it is one thing. Last week, places. Do you have a place? Have you found your home? And that it is our recognition that to come and worship in the way we are in this room right now is wonderful, but it is too shallow to withstand the needs that we will all go through. We need close community, building it together, and we're well, invited Sabbath to participate to it's good to in be with community, you here. growing I together in smaller ways than just our how we might series. enter this room today. Again, action, action. So you can imagine getting everybody in the right places. Without that, things don't go terribly well. People find their home, find their place, but there's another step. Can you imagine being the director and calling out action and nobody moves? And maybe somebody who's standing there stock still turns to some other actor and says, he said, action. You're supposed to get started. No, no, no. You are too. Could it even be that my inaction could cause some other actor in the grand play of what God is doing to stand still when God has called out action? Today, our challenge, the commitment we are called to make of action. And I just want to point something out to you as you look around in your pew area, and if you're sitting in a place where there's, a, there's none of this in front of you, then just look behind. But right there in the pews, um, you'll notice these cards, welcome cards. I want to point it out so you don't have to reach for it and get it, but look and see where it is in case you need it. What you'll notice on the one side is there are a wide range of things you might want to communicate with our pastoral team or other church leaders and our family that, that might be needs of yours. But the other side is just a delightfully wonderful side of the card where there are just a bunch of lines. And you could take this and you could use it to write a note. You could use it as a bookmark in your Bible. Or maybe there is something by the end of today that this time together will cause to happen inside your heart or mind that you might want to even interact with our pastoral team about. So you just note right now where those cards are in case you need one. I want to invite you to turn to Matthew 25 as we continue in this series. Today, action. You're turning now to Matthew 25, but I want to remind you of something. I'm going to have our, our uh, team up top put a telephone number on the screen. Now, don't just uh, start doing something with that number before I've given you the following instruction, I can imagine, right? But the number that you are receiving is the telephone number of Tanya Jansen, who is our air traffic controller for the Connections Cafe that's going on last week. How many of you, I hope you did, come down with us into the gymnasium to eat together? It was a wonderful delight. And we invited students by groups. We invited students home with us and invited all of them that were there home. But it's possible you're a student here and did not get to that event, did not realize, wait a minute, today, the 10th, or next week, the 17th, I could go, I would be invited home with my friends for a home-cooked meal. I missed it. I missed it. No, no, no. You haven't missed it. All you have to do is text that number right now. Give your name, and if there's more than one of you, the number of you that would like to be connected up. We have families that have been cooking for you and still have room. By the way, and Tanya and I were talking about this, how dangerous is this? We don't know, but we're going to try something additional. And that is if you're a guest 
here today, and you are, are in the perfect scenario where you could be invited home with some of our families and say, yeah, I mean, that would be wonderful. I'm traveling through. Or I don't know too many people. I'd love to connect up that way. Then you could text that number too and just say, hey, I'm Dave Ferguson, my wife and I, and, and my mother-in-law, Virginia, we'd like to come over to your house. Uh, yeah, sure. Can you hook us up? And we'll keep plugging people into these homes where people are welcoming and interested in you coming until we run out and we'll see what happens. I have this sense that God will provide. It's possible even that there's somebody here who wanted to be a standby family to take people home. You could also text Tanya and say, hey, I can take some people home, uh, but I must tell you, we've got more people ready to, to invite people to their house than what we actually have students or guests. So I encourage you in that. <clears throat> you found your way to Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to point you to the 14th verse and a parable that you know. In a series of stories Jesus was telling, this particular one starts this way in the 14th verse. Again, Jesus is signaling, you know, stories like this. Here's another one. Again, it'd be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To the one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. But the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Ah, today action. Here we go. Let's pray about it one more time. Lord God, bless us. Be right here with us. Stir us. Uh, Lord, if there are any of us who are, are comfortably spiritually asleep, would you disturb us, please? Whether you choose to do it with a thunderclap or a whispering voice, would you disturb us and move us and help us to see the grand beauty of being a part of your mission, the mission of this church, the mission of your salvation. Bless us in this. We're yours, in Jesus' name, amen. Action. Well, uh, how many of you enjoy the game charades? Do you know what I've done? I have gone blazing past something that's deeply, deeply important. So I'm going to back up, just realizing it. It's that important. So this kind of awkward uh, transition gets, gives us the opportunity to highlight even more than it would have been. I want to I just back up for a minute because I got cruising along and forgetting that I want to take a moment to especially recognize and pray over our teachers. So that kind of hard speed bump uh, lets me even make a bigger deal of it. This was all planned. <laughs> Let me ask this first. How many of you have at some other time in your life, not now, but at some other point in your life, like me, been a teacher, a professor in college, a teacher in high school, teacher in grade schools, or even a homeschool teacher? How many of you have been a teacher in that regard at some point and are not now? Just look around. There are so many of us that are connected to this important, important profession. I suppose it might be, be good for me to just point out, I'm all human beings, I think, on some level are teachers, right? Mothers and fathers were teachers. We've got Sabbath school teachers. We've got mentors. We've got all sorts of people that fit a certain sort. But I'm, I'm actually specifically talking about those who have found their professional and career God calling in the teaching professions. What I'd like to do, if you don't mind, again, I apologize for the for the rapid path we were on and us kind of taking a breath here. But here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pray over our teachers. And so in doing so, I'm going to point out different categories and invite you when I hit one that applies to you. I see some of you. I'd like to ask that you stand so that we could pray over you. So if you're a teacher in our school system here, and I count that from Kitty Campus to our kindergarten program, to our grade school, middle school, academy, Cosdale Academy system, to our university here, 
Again, I'm going to go through those just ever so briefly and want to hit the category that's you. You stand. Don't worry if you teach in this area, but not at those schools. I'm coming to you in a minute. So if you teach either at Kitty Campus, go ahead and stand. In the grade school, go ahead and stand. That includes kindergarten. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, you're giving courage to others who might be hesitant. So middle school, thank you for standing. Our high school here, the academy, thank you, Chris. Yes, thank you. And then our university right over here, Southern Adventist University, would you stand? I'd also, I'm going to go back through those, you stay standing, please. I'm going to go back through those categories, starting with our homeschool teachers. If you homeschool, and that's a part of the work of your calling, would you stand? If you are engaged in one of the other Seventh-day Adventist schools in the categories I'm about to mention, or the other Christian schools in our, in our community, or if you're teaching as a missionary in our public schools, if you are teaching in a grade school level, would you add your numbers to this group here by standing? Thank you. If you are in a middle school, go ahead and stand for us, please, and join us. Or if you are teaching in a high school or in one of the area universities, would you mind standing with us? What I'd like to invite you to do right now, and I hope if you're in the teaching professions, and I know I'm going to add another category that doesn't always get seen or thought of, and I, I missed it this morning at the, at the 9 o'clock service. If you are one of the auxiliary staff members, and you've heard the word teaching and decided that means uh, something kind of specific, but if you are, are a staff member in the school systems or in the university here or in our university's school systems in the community, would you add your numbers to that by standing with us in case you decided, ah, I'm not so sure I'm not teaching in a class. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, these are our great resource for the thing that if you're, if you're like me, you'd have to admit is about the most important thing we have. Our young people in their future and ours. So as we pray, I want to invite you to do this. As you look around and you see these folks, I'd like to invite, if you're sitting near one of these individuals, would you stand and just place a hand, stand by them, place a hand on their shoulder and look around as you do that, look around and make sure no one is left unattended to. That there's no one just by themselves without a supporting hand. This is a metaphor for our support and our, our lifting you up. And so now I'm going to invite you to bow your head, whether you're standing as a teacher, whether you've got a hand on a shoulder, or whether you're seated right beside. Let's bow our heads, and we're going to pray a prayer of dedication over these teachers. Lord God, oh, Oh, my word, maybe metaphoric to this whole situation. It's so easy to take these, these incredible warriors for granted. To drop our children off in a, some school line or put them on a bus or maybe even help procure their things, get them into a dorm room. Oh, Lord God, please, please bless our teachers and teaching staff. Our staff members who make all these things happen for our young people. I pray that they would receive a jolt of energy from you and from us, that they would feel the reward of the wealth that can only come because they have participated in changing the lives and even the generations to come. And Lord, as, as they stand here among us and we place our hands on their shoulders, we do so not simply uh, to make for an awkward moment. We do so to symbolically say we will not just sit by and watch our teachers struggle, be torn down, run out of energy. We will participate in their success with our hands and our feet and our lips. We will cheer them, we will defend them, we will work with them, and for each one of us that's seated here, we play the part in the metaphor of those consistent prayers that are needed on behalf of our schools and our teachers. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the community in which we live. We thank you for these, our, 
prized possession are teachers. We love you. Thank you again for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated again. Apologies for that awkwardness of my forgetfulness. You played right along nicely with that. I'm going to just share with you. How many of you enjoy, and this is a very school system kind of thing, by the way, or maybe it is a youth group thing. Uh, how many of you enjoy the occasional charade? Occasionally, yeah. All right, Moses. The occasional charade, if you want to throw people off, pronounce it charade. I'm, I apologize to my wife because there is a Bible story I know is one of her favorites to bring up if you're playing charades and you're trying to be tricky so that they can't figure it out, they, can't, they struggle to guess. I'm going to take you to Judges and chapter 3. The third chapter of Judges, Judges is filled with crazy weird stories. And here's one of them. The two star characters are uh, named after individuals you won't probably find on your class roster. Eglon and Ehud. Eglon and Ehud are not brothers. They are uh, on opposite sides. The Israelites have this kind of accordion thing that's been happening where they are followers of God. They're God's people, but then they wander away from Him. Maybe they begin worshiping idols or they indulge in a wide range of possible issues that, that God will call wickedness. And over time, every once in a while, God allows power to be given to some neighboring kingdom to overtake Israel, and then usually they turn back around to God, and God sends a deliverer, which by the way, if you get nothing else, just know this, the God you sang about, the God we prayed to, the God we talk about right now, is maybe best characterized as the deliverer. So I don't know what you're struggling with, what challenge you're facing. I just know this. There's a God who knows, and He is up to something on your behalf. He is the deliverer. Well, in this particular story, we find it starting in the 12th verse of the third chapter of Judges. Sorry to my wife, because you're going to know about the story now, and it's, it's already hard to act out, but now you'll know a little bit if somebody does this in your neighborhood charade. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. King of Moab, by the way, the Moabites are descendants of Lot. Isn't it interesting how far things can go when God's people become at odds with one another? Eglon, by the way, you're going to know him through the course of this story. With repetition, he is characterized for being a large king. Not so much height that is being pointed out as other body shape issues. Interestingly enough, as an Israelite, as a Hebrew would read this story, they can't, you can't help but to, by the cadence and the repetition, but pick up on the fact that the telling of the story almost lampoons or makes a cartoon of this ruler of Moab who pretends to rule over God's people is kind of the way it goes. In fact, the name Eglon in Hebrew rhymes with another Hebrew word and is very, very, only narrowly different from another Hebrew word which means rotund. And so as they read this story of this large king here we go, about to find Ehud. The Israelites cried out to the Lord under the 18-year reign of Moab who has got them under his thumb. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed guy. It's kind of an interesting thing. There are a variety of details in this story that are not just, I mean, they're kind of unusual that this would be important. Ah, but maybe it is. Some wonder, was he actually left-handed? There's reference a couple of times to left-handers in the book of Judges. How many of you are left-handed by a raise of your left hand? <laughs> Any left-hander kind of a little bit offended by the fact that we vote by, okay, by the signification of your right hand? Hey, how many left-handers? Go ahead, raise them again. Any of you 
uh, had somebody at some point in your life, maybe if you are in, uh, maybe one of the older generations, try to force you into right-handedness. Maybe in writing at school, maybe in the way that you would play a sport or something else. Yeah, there are the right-handers, the typical, the way the world works, and then there are the left-handers. Well, in this case, there's actually some suggestion that in sword fighting, because of the way that the warriors would train, a left-hander held very specific and special advantage. They're not what you're expecting. And by the way, if I show up at somebody's place of business and hand them my card, Pastor David Ferguson from the Collegedale Church, that's a very right-handed spiritual move. You know something, I think you, the left-hander, can show up at a place of work and maybe make a difference for the kingdom in this battle we're fighting that it'd be hard for the right-hander. It's a variety of stories we're going to get to, this one being the first odd story where there are interesting angles to God's call to action that I'm going to suggest mean He has targeted you. No matter how you look at yourself, you might be an outgoing person, you might be somebody with a title like elder, you might be somebody who's a pastor, you might, yeah, you might be one of the right-handers of the spiritual kingdom. Oh, but make no mistake, this is a God who brings the deliverer often because He brought a left-hander. And it's not clear whether it is truly that he is singularly left-handed or there is some evidence that maybe he was someone who had developed his left hand for battle in an ambidextrous capacity. You'll notice later in the book of Judges that there is a group of Benjamites, which by the way, Benjamin and that translation actually would be those who sit at the right hand. But there's a group of 700 Benjamites, those who sit at the right hand, who have developed themselves as left-handers. Yeah, interesting. Left-handed sling wielders, which, by the way, wielding a sling is a two-handed operation. So the idea is that these 700 have so developed their ambidextrous capacities that they can, whatever direction they are needing to turn, they can, and the description is, knock the hair off a donkey. Wow. So we're not sure. Is he actually left-handed, or has he just developed it so? But what's going to happen by the end of the story? He will have developed a very specific swordish dagger, extra long, with no hilt in it. It's actually going to disappear in the folds of Rotund. Or, I'm sorry, Eglon. He comes, Ehud does, with this dagger attached to his right leg, which is not where anybody looking to see if they're armed, where they would be looking, because a right-hander would take it from this side. But it is hidden. Oh, there's something incredible about the subtlety of the left-hander showing up in the battle of the spiritual world, and you may be that left-hander. Somebody no one was looking for or thinking of, because your angle of attack is a little bit different. It's unique. I'm going to tell you that the God who calls us to action is looking for your uniqueness and your individuality. You are not needing to fit the pattern of anybody else, but you are called to action. Well, Ehud gets himself all girded up, and he's got his dagger sword on his right leg, and he is now coming with the tribute that he has to pay to Eglon, and he does so, and he compliments Eglon along the way by saying, I need to tell you a secret Somehow, this cartoonish king doesn't see any threat, and Ehud dismisses his servants and those who would be attending him, and now he's in private with Ehud, who has come to take him out. The story gets really kind of weird, rough-ish. I'm going to do my best to stay in a certain kind of lane on how I tell you this story, but you can read it for yourself because it gets a little bit graphic. Now, back in the chambers of the king, Ehud says, I have an actual a message from God to give you. The message is going to be, I've come to deliver Israel. And that means you're done, king. And so with a thrust, this dagger sword enters Eglon the king, disappears in his folds, and in fact, his entrails are emptied there on the floor. I'm hoping to keep this... PG. 
And apparently, the odor is just such an odor as to a little bit later, after Ehud has left that area, leaving the dagger in Eglon, closing the door and getting it locked so that now person would have to go get a key, he is now taking off. And for the time period that he escapes, the servants come back, are knocking on the door, but apparently the odor convinces them that he's relieving himself in there, and it gives extra time for Ehud to escape. Crazy story. Some of this, I'm not sure how to actually act out in charades. But I want to suggest to you, we don't have time for it, but story after story after story of Scripture demonstrates how God loves to show up through the left-hander, show up through the one you weren't expecting. The one who doesn't have the title, the one who… let's just take a quick little tour of a couple of those, but as we do, I remind you that in this call to action, it, no one here is left out. If you are a God follower, you'll be reminded as you look on the screen from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Do you remember this? There are different kinds of working, but the same God works, in, works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, a little later in chapter 12, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it, and this is a dialogue about a call to action. You are a part of the body. Do you know what part you are? You are unique. You can't leave it to some other part. Possibly adding to the confusion is the next verse. Let's take a look at it. It says this, and in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles. Teachers is about the only one. Some of us are sitting there going, oh, okay, okay. Okay, we're going to have a little table. We'll sign up the, the people who are doing the miracles. Oh, it continues on. Also having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with the gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues. By the time you get done reading a list like that, you're going, well, I'm glad there are some people like that. But what it just got done saying is every one of us is somewhere in this body. Ah, but we don't all need to be the right-hander. We don't all need to have the word pastor on our card or elder or deacon or deaconess. There is a place for you to stand and take action as the director of this grand theater of the argument between God and the devil. Good and evil plays out. Action. And in fact, if it's confusing at all to you, this same author will go on in the very next chapter, one that we read with regularity, the 13th chapter, and will sum it all up by saying this. If you're confused about your role, just remember this. The greatest of all of these is love. You are called. I, I, I was thinking through back in Exodus 35, one of my favorite little vignettes some of you will be able to find it there fairly quickly. I'm going to take a little quick trip to Exodus 35. In Exodus 33, same guy is mentioned in the same kind of way, but I like 35 here to really sum this up. Do you know the first place I can find where there is a, a, a gifting of the Spirit of God for the purpose of doing something for God in a way that's very specific and possibly uh, about your forward-looking even career is in Exodus 35. Exodus 33. We read it this way in the 30th verse of chapter 35. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, same guy that was mentioned in, in chapter 33, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God. You, you are a God follower. He sends his Spirit upon you. So he's filled him with the Spirit of God with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. What kinds of skills? Bible study teaching, probably. Probably a, a prophecy seminar kind of a leader. Possibly a, a deaconess, maybe leading communion. Could it be that they're a preacher? Maybe a gifted musician will make an allowance. All kinds of skills for what? Verse 32, to make artistic designs for the work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. Not mentioned there in the 28th verse of the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the gift of artistic crafts. 
gem setting and, well, let's actually be real about it, graphic design and filmmaking and songwriting and home decorating and is it possible we have painted God in too small a right-handed box? That there's something unique He's doing in you that He needs and He will use to deliver people from bondage. Oh, don't settle for some other person's giftings. Ask God about yours, and maybe right now you're starting to think, oh, I better jot a note or two because I haven't ever thought of graphic design as a gift, Maddie, but I'm going to put it down. Maybe he's talking to me. I ask you, what is the most excellent thing you do? Is there something God would like to use it for? I wonder if we have thought too small, too specifically, too narrowly. You remember this particular passage, Exodus 4. God has come to Moses. He's the typical right-hander in a story. He's going to be the leader. People will, will actually put his name on stuff, and that makes it official. Well, as Moses said, ah, as Moses said, Moses in the midst of chapter 4 of Exodus is saying, I don't want to say anything. I can't speak for... The, for the, I'm not, the language is it's failing me. I'm not feeling good about this. Do you remember this? Exodus chapter 4. You find it there. In about the 14th verse, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. He's frustrated with Moses. You seem to be keeping putting me off for this calling I have for you, which, by the way, the part that you don't feel like you can do, I've already got somebody for that. What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well, and he's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. I've got what we need. Don't you worry. If there's some part of this that needs a partnership, we can do it. We can, we can partner the right-handers and the left-handers. And another example of this very same idea, which we know about Aaron a bit, but have you thought about this one? You remember the story of Esther. Esther's a great book named after a queen, a beautiful woman who ends up being a courageous leader and delivers her people, right? Of course, you know in the fourth chapter of the book of Esther, she's oblivious to all that's happening to her people. And maybe also if she becomes aware of it, she's not so sure she's the one to do anything about it, but there's a guy at the gate named Mordecai, her relative, who is speaking to her over this situation. You remember the line, right? For such a time as this, you have come. Don't believe you will escape this problem. For such a time as this. And we think about that. I was, I was over at the school talking with the teachers uh, at, the, at the academy yesterday. And uh, asking this question, so if the book of Esther, let's say there was another book of Esther, so you couldn't use, the, you couldn't use that name. That, that one's taken. What name would you give to the book of Esther? And somebody said, well, how about the book of Mordecai? Yeah, yep, that makes some sense. <clears throat> you could, you could, but what if Mordecai would say, what if you couldn't use Mordecai? Fascinating, and we don't think about this terribly often. You know, in this interaction between Esther and Mordecai, they didn't actually speak to each other, did they? Mordecai's at the city gates. Esther's in her castle or courtyard or whatever. They don't actually talk to each other. In fact, it's another person. Do you remember it? This whole scenario has been drummed up and put forward by a guy named Haman, and everybody, all the Israelites, are in deep, deep trouble. And as this moment comes to its pivot... And Mordecai is in ashes and sackcloth at the temple gate or at the city gates, but he can't go in to talk to Esther. In fact, there are some servant girls that discover he's been out there, and they come to tell Esther. Nothing happens without those servant girls. And then Esther sends Hatak out to talk to Mordecai. Mordecai, back and forth, they talk through Hatak, who is not an Israelite but he is faithful to Esther and faithful to the story. I don't know how many times you've played the telephone game, but this could get messed up fast. God uses the left-hander. God uses the eunuch Hatak to carry the message back and forth. I don't know who you see yourself to be in the story. Some of us look and we go, I'm not Esther. 
I'm not Mordecai. Yeah, their message goes nowhere without Hatak, goes nowhere without the recognition of the servant girls, nameless. We talked about Moses a few moments ago, Exodus 2. In the story, he's a little baby out in the bulrushes, and you know who's hovering nearby? A young girl, Miriam, his sister. We don't have the deliverance and the exodus without Miriam there. And by the way, Moses never lives long enough to get into that little boat on the water without a couple of midwives who are unwilling to participate in the slaughter of these children. A couple of them, I don't know if you're looking for family, new, new children names, but Shifra and Pua. I wonder if Moses, who writes Exodus and tells their story, is doing so as if to say, hey, wait a minute. We can spend a lot of time talking about what I did, but none of that happens. None of it happens. This deliverance does not happen except that he sent two midwife deliverers who refused to cash in any part of their integrity, Shifra and Pura. And you know what? This doesn't go well except that a young girl named Miriam stands knee-deep in the water in the rushes watching and waiting and protecting. And then in that moment, oh, you, you felt the moment. Something should happen. Action is called and you're knee-deep in the water. And you need to have the courage to step out and say, hey, would you like me to find somebody to care for that little boy? God is calling you to action. How about the story of 2 Chronicles 20? Jehoshaphat is feeling the pinch because three different countries have come together to try to wipe out the Israelites. They've all banded together. The Ammonites, the Moabites, Syrians, they're all together. They're going to take them out. They're gathered there, and Jehoshaphat brings all of the people together. In the 20th chapter, brings all the people together to pray and to pray. You find it, the story there. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the 14th verse, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, a prophet, who tells them, look, good news, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. And so they talk about it, they pray about it, the next day they go out to war, and the soldiers are all there, but you know what they do? You know the story, they send the choir in front. Ron, I don't know how you feel about it. Choir member. I have listened to a couple of choirs that I thought made for an interesting battle technique. Not this one this morning. You're not, you're not intimidating anybody with that beautiful music. God uses the left-hander. God uses the little girl. God uses the choir. And not always for what you thought he was going to use it for. By the time the day is over, the warriors with the swords really don't do anything. It is the choir that wins the battle. I don't know how you look at yourself or what you think of yourself. I want to just suggest to you, though, that God is calling for a reaction to His love. Not just to come here to watch, but to engage in a mission that's bigger than you. To find your community, your people, and then let something happen to you. And get it, be, be engaged in what God is up to. I want to call my friend up, Evelyn. You met her just a little bit ago, and there's going to be a microphone that's brought up here because I'm going to ask her a couple of questions. So as Evelyn comes up with, with her darling little girl, we, a couple of weeks ago, dedicated her, uh, her family, her mom and dad and sisters and this little one right here. You're awake in this service. I know, don't make any more of that than what, anyway. So, Evelyn, yes. uh, I want you to tell the story because it was a little over a year ago or so that you came to this church. You decided to move your membership here. You came to our Welcome to the Family, and you became a part of our family. But tell us a little bit about your experience, and then we'll ask a question about what happened from there that God did. Uh, we moved here and knew just a few people, and um, this is a big church, and everyone was very welcoming but we, I didn't feel like I had a place yet. I felt 
Like I came to church every Sabbath, but I felt lonely. I didn't have a place to belong yet, a place yeah. to, with a purpose. So some of us, maybe we sit in a section near where she might have sat, her family, her little ones, her husband, they would be here, and it's great, it's good, I see you, you're a part of us, right? But over time, have you felt what it's like, a room filled with energy, and then the event is over, and poof, and you're alone. And so you were going through that, and that's a dicey time, and some people in a big setting like this don't find their place and can't survive it. So what happened to you? Um, my children wouldn't sit still in church, so I made my way to the mother's room where I connected with another mother who, um, who connected me with other mothers and other women um, in my life, and uh, through them we started a Bible study. This is fantastic, and so you guys, you know I'm gonna do this, so don't hesitate, you come up here, I want to invite, because I think it's visually exactly what it looks like, uh, exactly what we mean for it to be. Some of the other young women who became your friends, and you banded together, you found there are other people searching for family, searching for belonging, searching for spiritual connection, and they began to do things together. They began to schedule things. Sometimes they scheduled events like uh, T CPR for, for infants and children's first aid and uh, just a variety of things that you're, they were interested in. And the group kind of grew in their love for one another, in their support of one another, little bit by little bit. So that's what we've been talking about the last couple weeks, right? That you can come here. It is a mission to come here, but sometimes it's tough to find your place. But then just like, yeah, I know, I'm, sooner or later, she's going to be a public speaker. But you find your place and you start to be fed spiritually. You be, you're fed in your social needs and, and you find belonging and home. But just like a couple of weeks ago, we talked about those lepers who found all the food in the tent. You start to realize there's more food here than I need. Last Sabbath, these ladies said to me, I, I feel like you were talking to us. When you talked about finding your place and now we can't help it but we feel like we've got so much, we ought to figure out how we give that back to other people. We want other people to know. We want to expand what we're doing. We would love other people who are searching to be able to find belonging. And so what they're doing specifically, I'm going to share some stuff right up here, but do you want to share anything more about your desire here? Some of you, I told you, I might, might push you out here. Okay, I'm handing you the microphone. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm going to do this. <clears throat> I'm going to put up on the screen... Uh, a little notice here. They've decided to call their group Daughters of God. Mm -hmm. And while they are a lot of young mothers, they're thinking, you know what, there are a lot of, of, of young ladies, single or otherwise. A lot of what we do might matter to other people too. I mean, there could be grandparents here who would love to have an infant CPR class or something of that nature, or right, as you kind of keep going. So they, they start, and this last week they were meeting. Well, what do we call ourselves? Well, daughters of God. That's what we're going to call ourselves, they say. And we want to get together. We want to have an opportunity for other people to kind of check in, see what's going on, and make sure other people have a place if they respond to something like this because they've taken the next step. And I know some of them are, are in roles where they have to be outgoing and speak to the public. Others of them are not. There's room for the right-handers and the left-handers. <laughs> There's room for your personality, for your incredible uniqueness and giftedness, right? So what else, anything else you want to say about this, Tisha? Well, I just want you to know that we're, we're wanting authentic community. We want an opportunity so that it's not just on Sabbath morning when we're saying happy Sabbath. And some of us are hurting. Some of us have burdens that we're hoping when we come here, we'll meet our church family and we would be uplifted. And that's difficult to do when we only have a few minutes in passing here. So our hope is that if we meet um, at this event, other women who are interested in talking about what they need, that we're not crazy enough to think that we can meet those needs, but we want to walk with you to the one who can. And so that's the purpose of this brunch that we're going to have in September, to find out what it is that this living organism of wonderful, amazing women who are trying to do a lot of things by themselves but don't need to. Yeah. 
Tremendous. Would you mind applauding God for what he has done in helping this develop? Thank you. And of course, that's not the one thing happening, but it's a perfect illustration, isn't it, of how this journey goes. We come to a place, we feel drawn to this place, and it's easy to come and sit and just not get connected. Finally, we are connected, and we find our little group. Have you ever watched a group that's having such a great time you wish you could be a part of it, but you're not? And they found themselves thinking, we've got more food than we need. We need to do more with it. And that's just an example, a metaphor in some ways, for what God is calling me to, what God is calling you to, finding the places and calling our family to action. As we close this notion and this idea of action today, I just want to share with you one of my favorite quotes. You probably, if you've hung around me much, you've seen it. Here's the quote from the book Education. Every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to that of the Creator. And I've held back the end of that quote. You'll notice there's no period there. I just want to all get there together at the same time. There is a power that God gives every single one of us in this room, and here's what that power is. Individuality. Your right-handedness or your left-handedness, your ability to speak or somehow carry the message behind the scenes, your ability to organize things or to connect different people, your ability to design graphics or set gems in their place. You have something to add to the story of God that if you do not add it, it can't be given. Because you fill out the picture of the body of Jesus Christ. Oh, let us not hang back as we move forward. Hey, everybody, places. Got lights. We have the moment. Action. Do you know there are only a couple of stories in the New Testament Gospels that are shared equally, evenly, generally evenly, throughout the four, all four Gospels. One of them is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's another one. It's the feeding of the 5,000. But in John, John adds a detail the other three Gospels don't include. Because this story is all built for us to look at it as the right-handed action of somebody in a certain place in a position because Jesus calls forth some food and he multiplies it for the 5,000. Jesus, I mean Jesus, really. I mean, I, how can I? I'm not, I mean, so there feels like a distance there in terms of what God might be calling me to in the feeding of the 5,000. But John says, no, 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 let's back the story up just a tiny bit in the sixth chapter. And he says, whoa, 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 wait. Before you get rolling on to Jesus, to, to my multiplying of those loaves and fish, let me give you this detail. Because as I ask, what food do we have? A feeble voice of one of the disciples speaks up. Well, I, <laughs> I mean, uh, we don't have much here. Um, really hesitant to bring it up. And in fact, as he does, you kind of can see the eyes rolling on a couple of the other disciples. <laughs> okay. All right there, Andrew. There's a little boy who has a basket. He overheard your question. And he came up with a basket, some loaves and fish, enough to feed a little boy. I don't know how to respond to him. I just thought I would tell you. And by the time that day is over, a little boy walks home to tell his mom, Mom, guess what happened today? Jesus and I fed 5,000. You may think what you have to give is way too small. Jesus takes the way too small and delivers his people. He needs you. No matter your age, no matter your size, no matter your right or left-handedness, he needs you. Your unique power. Jesus' picture 
in our community needs you. It is a call. In these moments of commitment, we're about something here that other churches can't be about because of where we are, who we are, and all that we're called upon to do here in this particular valley with the university right there, our school system draped across our campus. He calls you to more than just attending a program, but to invest in community, to be a part of a group, to give opportunity for people like Evelyn and others to find home. And in that moment, you know it's going to happen. As you find your place, you can almost hear the call coming to action because you're going to realize very quickly that what I'm now being fed with is more than enough for me. It's more than I just need. And I've been with people who need what I'm receiving. So how can I participate? What's my role to take action? I just encourage you, as we pray, Maybe there's something you want to talk to me about, somebody on our pastoral team about, one of our church leaders about, hey, I would love to be involved in this. I am wondering, is there such a thing as that? Or maybe you just need to write down, I don't know what my thing is. Could you help me? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Your loaves and fishes in the hands of God will change the world. Lord God, forgive us for those moments we have been passive about who you are and who you're calling us to be. Right now, we pray that you would move us to give you the little that we have, to take part, to engage, to be active, not just coming here to eat something for ourselves, but because we've come in touch with a life-changing force in your presence and spiritual movement in our lives that we would be all about connecting other people with this Jesus that we love. May we so live out this call to action that there would be none that would pass among us distraught and alone. That there would not be someone whose needs are just either so foreign or unknown that we would sit here exactly with what they need and not connect it up. And Lord, may we move enough in this action to disturb and change our community past the walls of our parochialism, even our Adventism, even our Christianity those who do not know you and are dying for the lack. So, we are yours. Call us to action. In the name of Jesus, amen.